Well, good, morning. good morning. Welcome to Zion on this first Sunday of Advent. Uh, before we begin our worship, I'm going to have Mary come and make our first announcement. Yeah, you can talk to Mary about church council. If you have questions, you could also reach out to me and happy to, happy to talk to you about serving on council. Uh, just a few other announcements for this morning. First, a reminder that newsletters are in your box, so please pick those up if you haven't. Uh, you'll notice in your bulletins that there's a new insert. Uh, as we're beginning the new church year with Advent, uh, it's a good opportunity and a good time to start new prayer habits, new routines, if things have fallen to the wayside, or if you would like to start new devotional times. Uh, so I've included an insert that I just call Faith at Home. It's just a really simple devotional routine that you can incorporate individually or as a family. Uh, it will take you about five minutes. You could do it before dinner. Uh, but it's an opportunity to read scripture that's related seasonally. Uh, so all of our readings this week on that sheet will be related to Advent. Uh, and just a, a chance to refresh on some catechism, to pray. Uh, so if you're looking for a devotional opportunity or a new routine, uh, that's there for your resource. Uh, reminder... Again, speaking of inserts, that poinsettia orders are due next week, so please get those in. Uh, but we will also decorate the church next Sunday at 4 o'clock. Last week I mistakenly said 6, uh, so if you heard that, please forget it. Uh, we will decorate at 4 o'clock. Uh, please plan to join us. We will also have an open house at the Parsonage following the decorating. Are there any other announcements or prayer requests for the congregation? I remember my brother-in-law, Ron Hartley, in prayer this morning. He's in the hospital. Okay, that's Ron. Yeah, Carrie. My wife Rose is home from the hospital, but she's going to be uh, on IV antibiotics twice a day for the next 14 days. Yeah, continue praying for her. Right. I'll invite you then to take a moment to quiet your heart and quiet your mind as we listen to the prelude and prepare for worship.
congregation, I invite you to stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us. And for his sake, God forgives us all our sins. As a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Stir up your power, Lord Christ, and come. By your merciful protection, save us from the threatening dangers of our sins, and enlighten our walk in the way of your salvation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from Isaiah. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Now we'll read responsibly Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. 
Jerusalem is built as a city that is at unity with itself. For there are thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Peace be within your walls and quietness within your towers. Because of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek to do you good. Our second reading is from Romans. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus said to the disciples, About that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. He would have not have let, let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you to be seated. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm not sure before coming to Zion that I'd ever been part of a church with a clock in the nave, that is the worship space. So I don't know the whole history of the clock. I know it was given as a memorial to Reverend Hutton. Uh, maybe somebody after the service could tell me more about the clock. But I imagine the clock was placed in the church for pragmatic reasons. 
And I wonder, because the church I grew up in actually had a clock placed right on the pulpit there as a reminder for long-winded preachers. <laughs> Get on with it, finish the sermon. But clocks are pragmatic. They have a purpose. Precise timekeeping is all about getting people together at the same time for a task. Before clocks, time was kept very generally, nonspecific. You could talk approximately about morning hours and evening hours. You could talk about the seasons and the years. But you can never be precise and say, well, meet me at 9.45 in the morning. That's only possible because of clocks. And this precise timekeeping was largely developed for spiritual reasons and monasteries where monks needed to pray together at a specific time of the day. The clocks made that possible. So some of the earliest mechanical clocks are found in monasteries and in cathedrals. The timekeeping is pragmatic. It gets us all together at the same time. But timekeeping is also spiritual. The passing of time itself is spiritually important to us, just as the medieval monks learned when they put clocks in their monasteries. Because the keeping of time is a reminder that our time is limited. We are going to die. Our days are numbered. And each swing of the clock's pendulum represents a moment closer to the day where we will all meet our maker. The season of Advent challenges us to consider our time and what we do with our time as Christians. So now we're beginning a time in our culture where the weeks before us are all about preparing for the festivities of Christmas. The, few, the next weeks are about buying and wrapping gifts, decorating, planning menus, planning travel, and so on. But Jesus reminds us that we are to be more intentional about our time in a different way. And this is what the whole season is about for us, getting intentional with our time. As the clock ticks away in coming weeks, we will indeed be closer to the celebration of the first advent of Christ. But in the church's time, we are reminded we are also closer each moment to the second advent of Christ, to his second coming. The gospel reading takes us to the days before Christ is crucified. Christ has told his disciples that the temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed and that he will come again to judge the world. The disciples don't yet fully understand what Jesus is talking about, and so they ask him, how will they know when these things are going to take place? Well, Jesus tells them quite boldly they can't know. He says the hour will be unexpected. And because the hour will be unexpected, Jesus tells them that alert vigilance is required as they await the end. They need to be spiritually watchful. He says the temptation will be to live unaware, will be to live unprepared for the passing of time, and that because the hour of his return is unknown, people will not be intentional about their time. Jesus gives us three pictures that illustrate the need to be spiritually ready for his arrival. So first he says, for as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He says people were just busy living their lives in those days. He doesn't even say that they were doing anything wicked exactly. He says the people were eating, they were drinking, they were getting married. They were doing the normal things that we all do. 
And while Noah listened to God's word and built a boat, everyone else just went about their lives. And when the rains came, they knew nothing about it, and they were swept away. To clarify what he means, Jesus gives us a second example. In this example, he notes there are two workers in the field. One will be taken, one left. In other words, he's not telling us to quit working, to quit our jobs, to quit doing our day-to-day -day activities and just watch for his coming. He's telling us, rather, to be spiritually prepared. We are called to be spiritually awake for his arrival. It wasn't that the people in the days of Noah were at fault for doing their normal day-to-day -day activities. Their fault was that they were oblivious to the sin around them. Their fault was that they failed to see the inevitability of God's coming judgment. They were spiritually asleep, simply, simply drifting through their days, numb to the realities of God's word. And so when the flood came, they were swept away. The final example Jesus gives us is that of a homeowner. He says, if a homeowner does not expect a thief to come at night, well, the homeowner is just going to go to sleep. If he knows, however, what time at night the thief is coming, the homeowner is going to get prepared for that hour. He won't necessarily be constantly vigilant. He will only be vigilant for the necessary time. And so this example gets to the heart of what Jesus wants us to hear. He wants us to be constantly spiritually prepared for his arrival. He says, if we knew the hour or day that he was going to arrive, then the constant temptation would be not to be prepared. We would say, well, I know Jesus is coming at 10 o'clock tonight, so I'm going to do what I want with my life until 10 o'clock tonight when Jesus comes. That would be a problem. It would be a problem because we would end up wasting our lives. Instead of living our lives with the highest good, which is to love, trust, and fear God, the temptation would be too much to live as worldly as we could. We would be tempted to be spiritually asleep and to think that we could just set an alarm clock to wake us up at Christ's arrival. And so the unknown hour is a spiritual blessing to us. It allows us to live in true dependence on God, to be truly ready. And this is what the Christian life is really about. The Christian life is a life of learning to depend on God for all things. This is what we mean when we say a life of faith. A life of faith is a life of dependence on God the Father. This constant learning to depend on God is required for our spiritual growth. Being faithfully, faithfully awake is not something we can just turn on with a switch. But being spiritually awake is a product of vigilance. Spiritual growth comes to us day by day, bit by bit, when we avail ourselves consistently to the means of grace. We don't wake up one day and decide that we're going to be dependent on God and be truly faithful. It doesn't work like that. Instead, the Holy Spirit works this faith in us daily as we receive his means of grace. And so the daily, regular reception of the means of grace is how we remain vigilant for the Lord's arrival. When we regularly worship the Lord, when we receive the sacrament, when, he, when we read his word, when we pray, when we commit ourselves to him, that's how we remain spiritually awake. Our hymn of the day says, prepare yourself to meet the Lord. 
Jesus says in our reading, therefore you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. When you hear those commands, you want to hear them like this. Make yourself dependent on God. Spend your days learning to trust in him and not in yourself. Christians live in this time of waiting. And through scripture, and the scripture tells us that a thousand years is but a day for God. For us, this wait can seem substantial, can seem forever. And to get through this long wait, we have to trust. If you sat at the doctor's office for an hour or two, waiting for your name to be called, waiting for the doctor to arrive in the examination room, you know the frustration of the wait. We stay, however, because we trust that the doctor will eventually show up. Doctors are busy, they have other patients, they have paperwork, they have consultations, and so we wait while being frustrated. But God doesn't want us to get frustrated because God has another reason he is leaving us to wait. He has us waiting so that we will learn to trust. So we learn to be prepared for and we learn to desire the arrival of his son. That's the heart of the gospel reading. Will the return of Christ on the last day be good news for us? There is no question that it will be good news if we have spent our days learning to love and trust him. As moments are passing, are we dedicating moments to learning to love and trust Christ? The writer Annie Dillard reminds us how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one and the next is what we are doing. Right? How you spend your days is how you spend your life. And so the season of Advent reminds us that our days are best spent learning to wait with faith. We learn to wait in faith by learning to see that Christ has not abandoned us to the passing of time, instead that he has entered time for us. He still enters time for us as we receive him in his word and sacrament. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we want to prepare for his arrival, then we want to learn to receive him today and every day. The Christ who is coming on the last day is the same Christ who came to Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. He's the same Christ who comes to you when you receive Holy Communion. He's the same Christ who is present when two or three are gathered in his name. He's the same Christ who has promised he will never leave you, never forsake you. It's our duty and our joy to spend our days preparing for his return. Because to prepare for his return is to receive his grace each day. Indeed, the clock is ticking. The pendulum is swinging. And all of us are a little closer to seeing Christ face to face. To prepare for that moment when we see him face to face ought to be the ultimate goal of our lives. And we prepare for that moment by learning to long for that day. We learn to know that Christ is our redeemer. We learn to know him as the one who cares for us, the one who forgives us. We learn to trust in him and to trust that he is the Lord of our life. And so when you spend your days doing those things, then you will be prepared for the Son of Man at the unexpected hour. When you spend your days learning to trust in him, 
You are spinning your days awake. You are ready for his return. And so like the hymn says, we can sing together, O come, O come, Emmanuel, because we know that Christ is for us. Amen.
together, let us stand and confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. As we await the coming of Christ in mercy and majesty, let us pray for the church, the world, and for all people according to their need. Stir up your power, O Lord, and purify your church. Make it a holy dwelling fit for your Son. Make it your house into which the nations stream. Make it the new Jerusalem, the home of all whom you have redeemed. Lord, in your mercy. Stir up your power, O Lord, and cleanse the hearts of all who worship here. Fill us with love for you, affection for one another, and generosity toward our neighbors, especially those most in need of your kindness. Lord, in your mercy. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come to the aid of your persecuted church around the world. Lift up their heads, strengthen their faith, and deliver them from their enemies. Set free those who hate you from the bondage of sin, and give all of us grace to bear witness to Christ until he comes again in glory. Lord, in your mercy. Stir up your power, O Lord, and grant your spirit to the leaders of the nations, especially Joseph, our president, Richard Michael, our governor, our Congress, and all who hold office. Teach them to work together for the common good and to put the best construction of words and deeds of those with whom they disagree. Remind them that they must give an account of their stewardship of authority to you, the Lord of the nations and the King and our God. Lord, in your mercy. Stir up your power, O Lord, and banish the evils of violence, chaos, brutality, and hatred from this world. Give your spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might to all who defend life and liberty and to all who protect our communities from danger. Lord, in your mercy. Stir up your power, O Lord, and bring healing and hope to all of those whose need is great. Especially we lift before you Steve, Owen, Tana, Phil, Judy, Carol, Brad, Marilyn, Nancy, Rose, Tony, Carolyn, Alan, and Ron. Deliver them from all that darkens their lives and restore them to all who love them. Give patience, gentleness and to caregivers and shine the light of your love upon them. Lord, in your mercy. Stir up your power, O Lord, and raise from the shadows of death all who have fallen asleep in you, especially those whose loss grieves us most. Help us to comfort those whose hearts are heavy in this season of joy. And by your mercy, bring us safely into your eternal kingdom, 
which you have prepared for all who have you, you have redeemed. Lord, in your mercy. All of these things and whatever else you see that we need, grant to us, dear Father, for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now the peace of the Lord be with you always. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts. With them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. Amen.
Go in peace. Serve the Lord.